Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome once again to History Dweeps. I'm Tim and um, today's topic of our podcast is the Brickham Murders of 1966. It's an unsolved uh, murder mystery. We didn't, generally don't do unsolved murder mysteries, but uh, we get a lot of requests for them. Um, so we're going to give this one a shot. It was It's kind of a creepy story, um, and uh, it's a very big story here in, in Cincinnati where it occurred back in 1966, I guess, almost 50 years. Yeah. 50, 50 years, years ago. Yeah. Happened uh, right to as the crow flies less than a quarter of a mile from the colonel's colonel estate. Yeah, it was it's on the way, it was it happened on the west side of Cincinnati. We'll get into all the details of it, and um, there's uh, there's some strange stuff with this story. This one has fascinated me all my life because yeah. it's always been. If so you're close from Cincinnati, yeah, if you're from Cincinnati, <clears throat> and I'm not, but if you're from Cincinnati originally, um, you know about this story. Everyone knows about this story, so. Um, for those who are not from Cincinnati, we'll kind of go through it, walk you through it, and um, talk about some theories of what may have happened. But before we get started, let me introduce our panel. Um, joining me on my left is the very vivacious and uh, the mistress of the macabre, the Empress Amin. Empress of Evil. Yeah, whatever. The <laughs> Duchess of Darkness. Duchess of Darkness. The what? Satan's uh, dirty little secret. The devil. Brandy. How are you doing, Brandy? I'm well. How are you? Well, we're glad you're back. I'm glad to be this back. This is your second podcast. You was a little it stoned is. during the first one. Wow. Well, you know, it was Oxycontin, so you were a little out there. But uh, I'm glad to see you're, you know, somewhat sober this time anyway. Well, you know, I you, try. You ready for this story? Yeah. Okay, and to uh, to my right is the um, very distinguished, very honorable, um, the uh, most dangerous man in podcasting today, Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawk Waters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? I'm doing fine, Timmy. I guess I'm coming to terms with the fact that the devil is uh, actually back to stay. Yeah. Um, is not something that most of the listeners or myself or... I don't know. She's got a pretty big fan club out there. Yeah, why are they called Team Brandy? Why don't they are Why aren't they called Team Devil? Because <laughs> Brandy is my name. Or maybe Satanist. Even your mama calls you Devil. I think Satanist would be appropriate. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're the, we're the no, Devil lovers. Stop. Bunch of devil worshiping on the hinge. No, tackling him. wonderful. <laughs> I'm well, not saying they're not wonderful. They're fine people. They are wonderful. They are very. They're very loyal listeners, and they love Brandy. And as um, they should. I'm not sure about that, but I know in Brit- any event, Brittany Nicole's going to be rooting for the Broncos in the Super Bowl. So is she? I know that. Yes. Did you send her uh, your picture yet? Um, I'm picking it up tonight. Uh-huh. <sighs> picking it up tonight. It was hard you better to get. Send you know, it to you her. take pictures. Here's the thing, and listeners might not notice, but when you uh, take pictures with your phone. They're often not big enough to have blown up into eight by tens. Okay. The megapixels. Why don't you just send her your phone? There you go. Well, I could do that, I suppose. Yeah. She could you have go. the colonel's phone. No, you just get a iPad, and then it's, it's about eight by ten, and you just send her that. There we go. Okay, uh, Colonel. Shout outs. 
Um, I got my shout-outs to the loveliest of women, um, Lady Beverly. Um, He's been updating our page with uh, English uh, history. history. British history. We appreciate that. Yeah, sometimes I I believe that Lady Beverly forgets that uh, you people over there lost the war. (laughs) Um, She she thinks we're a little uncouth over here, but... You're uh, talking about the time when... We opened a big old can of whoop ass on, on the bridge. On we George. did, we yeah. did, and we will we, do it again. But that's yeah, not will. nice. We're allies. We're friends now. Are we? Yeah. Oh, okay. Been a long time. Okay, and of course, Lady Beverly. You know, I, I kid. Um, we would never uh, perpetuate perpetrate any acts of aggression. A perpetuate. No. <laughs> <laughs> easy tip. I don't even know that that's a word, but okay. Perpetuate. Any acts of aggression? Quickie. Against the British, our British friends. Yeah, we love the British. Um, and, and we also, love the Irish, too. They're, we got a lot of Irish. We loved Irish. To, and Australians. Know. Although they were a little nuts down there, man. You know, th- now think about Australia. They're badass. The yeah, worst things in the world that you could find, the most horrible things you're going to find in the world, you find Australia. We got a spider up here. Australians are like, oh, you think that's something? We take a look at this spider. This spider, it will kill the man trying to treat the man bitten by the spider. And man, they get that. They got they. They had um, our serial killer William McDonald to cut piece of people's balls. Off. Oh, that was no fun. Yeah, but I mean, they, they, but he, he came from England, so they get a little credit for that. Too. Do you know they have to? Have you ever noticed they got to one up everything? I mean, like we got somebody gets bit by a shark, they're like, ah, we got people, you know. They're badass. I'm yeah, you. I mean, they they got the great white sharks. They got the most dangerous venom, venomous snakes. I mean, they got kangaroos. I they mean, got kangaroos that punch you right in the face while balancing on their tail. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's a crazy place to live in, and and most of them hail from. Uh, it was a uh, prison colony. It so, started as a penal colony, but yeah, so they're all descendants of. Well, I don't um, know if that's. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. They're all descendants. They're all descendants of convicts started, down there. Yeah, and, like um, but they're badass. I like the Australians. Yeah, and most of the convicts probably started out in Ireland and became convicts. So. You know, when I travel, we do love I, I try to find a bar where there's either Australians or Irish or um, people from England because they're a lot of fun. A lot of fun to drink with. Uh, I'll tell you what, you cannot drink. You cannot go out drinking with English people, Timmy. The colonel one time was in a fantasy football league. These guys were from England. They were coming over to see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in Cleveland. In Cleveland. So, you know, not knowing uh, geography, thinking it's Ohio, they're going to be very close. Well, it's only five, four hours. But right. I met them halfway at a bar up just past Dayton, Ohio. So north of Dayton, I'm meeting these guys. And, and they show up in their... First of all, they're dressed differently. Does I, I story guess story have an end ever. My God! When you say they're dressed I just differently, that means they're sake. dressed nicer than you. Is what you're saying? No, the style, the fashion style is different in England, and they were younger than me, so. Or point. So what I'm not expecting That's is adorable. how much alcohol these boys can put yeah, away. Yeah, man, they drink you. And they're the order, and they like to drink to be warm. Yeah. So they're ordering like three beers at a time. They like pints. Letting them sit there on the table. And they got and, and the other thing they do is do they have a sense of humor. They have a sense of humor that's not often understood by <laughs> see, I had never been to this particular establishment. And it was not it was a not a nice establishment to me. It's a brass ass. It was it was the kind that people get shanked in. It's a brass ass. Yeah, something like there. that. And uh, I do not. And I was fairly certain before the evening was through, I was not going to make it out alive with these three English boys um, drinking beer and making jokes. And they're crazy. Yeah, they're There's something wrong with them. But they can drink beer all damn night. Yeah, because it's like water. I don't know what it is with them. It's their metabolism, the British metabolism. Is that the point of your story that Brits can put down beer? That's what I was trying to get to. Good it. point. Okay. Uh, any other shout-outs, Colonel? Oh, my God. Um, I got, well, uh, the reason we do this show um, every every few days 
is really for Dottie Scott, who you keep trying to kill. I do not. I um, do not, do not. And my fear is, Tim, that the only way the, the way this show is going to stop is one of these days you're going to be successful. You're going to see no. Dottie. You're going to push her out in front of a subway train or something like that. That's not true. I love my mom. Okay. Uh, then why do you keep trying to kill her? We also have shout-outs. I want to give a shout-out to Rebecca from UK. She sent us a nice email. She likes the show. We've got a couple of... Um, iTunes reviews. Um, it's very nice. One from Colorful Crazy in uh, Dayton gave us a very nice review. Um, Stevers and Henry uh, gave us some real nice reviews. We love the reviews on iTunes. Uh, if you can leave us a review there, that's how people find us. So it's really, really helpful. We love the we love your comments on Facebook as well. And go uh, Team Brandy. And go Team Brandy. Team Devil. And hi to Celine. We haven't heard from Celine in a while. So we Celine, have, I wonder if Celine snowed in. Yeah, no, no, she's okay. She said she was uh, binge listening some other uh, podcast, but she's back now with us. And uh, Omar. she was cheating on us. No, no, she wasn't. Celine was cheating. No, on us. you can have more than one podcast. And uh, uh, shout out to Omar. Okay, I only right. listen to one podcast. Uh, you, you don't even listen to this one. It's not this one. No, I don't know. I ain't gonna wait. <laughs> if I got an hour, I'm listening to another one. Okay, let's get into the story, shall we? Because it's it's kind of cool. So the t- the topic is the brick and murders, and I guess probably, uh, I guess we could explain a little bit about Cincinnati before we get started. The colonel lives on the west side of Cincinnati. And it's a working-class blue-collar neighborhood. It is. There's two... Well, it's fair to say there's two Cincinnati's. There's, there's two sides to Cincinnati. There's an east side. And a west side. And a west side. Yeah. And the east side is more diverse, more progressive. Uh, a lot of people who move from out of town move on the east side. It's the better side. Well, here's, and really, here's the best way to... <clears throat> here's a good way to put it, mm-hmm. or a good example, is since 1920 until just our last two, from 1920 on, every police chief we've had in the city of Cincinnati has come from the west side of Cincinnati. Yeah. West side of Cincinnati is very conservative. And all of the bankers and heads of industry, heads of the financial sector, all come from the east side. Yeah. Um, all- west side is, like, like Colonel said, is a blue-collar um, working class neighborhood. Um, they don't mark their roads. <laughs> they're nope. very, very conservative. When I first moved to Cincinnati, when we, when my ex-wife and I were going to buy a house, um, we went to a realtor. And back in the day, this is for well, they had the, inter- the internet was around, but before you did, they had the multiple listings on the internet. They had these big books that you would look mm-hmm. through for to, for new homes. Yeah, and they had a West Side book. Mm-hmm. And an east side book. And I remember telling my realtor, oh, let me have both. She asked which one I wanted. And I, she said, I said, can I have both? And she was like, no one's ever asked for both before. So in Cincinnati, you're either on the east side mm-hmm. or from the west side. And so this story, the, yeah, this story takes place on the west side, which is the more conservative, blue-collar area of town, which is kind of strange because the Brickett family were transplants. But and it, there's an old saying on the west side that uh, that uh, people on the east side drive drive very nice cars, and people on the west side have very big bank accounts. And, and it's true. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in a, in a place where you, you see these people, when they start to do pretty well for themselves, Timmy, mm-hmm. they, the first thing they do is go out and buy themselves a brand new Buick. Yeah. That's what they buy. Brand but, they, but they don't change sides of towns. No, they don't. You and you will never see someone from West Side move to the East Side, or, or very rarely. But yeah. I thought that the saying was people on the East Side had nice brand new cars, and people from the West Side stripped them for parts. <laughs> no. no, it's actually people people on the East Side are borrowing from the savings of people on the West Side, is what they always said. But it's a lot of German, a lot of... Um, yeah, it's, and, it's considered old Cincinnati, right? Yeah, it's yeah. German, Irish, and it, Italian is in origin. For example, Pete Rose is from the West Side, probably it, the most famous yeah, person from Cincinnati. Our, our, our proudest son, Yeah, except for the Colonel. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the Brickas were a young couple who moved... Your mother's proudest (laughs) In September of 1966, the Bricka family was savagely murdered in their west side, uh, in their home on the west side of Cincinnati. Quick question, Timmy. Yes. You just said savagely murdered? Yeah. Have we done any podcast where anybody was just politely murdered? No, they were savagely murdered, And, and... 
granted that we use maybe we throw that a, a word around loosely but this was really the case if you if you well, like know that guy sitting in his floor like whacking at that guy's junk that was pretty damn savage too yeah okay 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 this is but they were savagely murdered okay um, no, excuse me sir this is a very um, uh, the one thing about the west side of Cincinnati is everyone is in everyone else's business right that's fair to say the home business. The homes are very close. The homes are very close, close together. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, most of them were built what in the fifties. They were built post World War II for the for the boom there. Yeah. And uh and the they're very lives in a house uh, much like that. And yeah. my next door neighbors on each side are twenty five feet in each direction from my house. So So the thing with this murder, it occurred in September of nineteen sixty six. There was no no one heard anything. It happened one evening. Let me tell you a little bit about the family. Um, The family was Jerry Bricka and his wife, Linda. Linda was 23. Jerry was 28. They had a four-year-old daughter named Debbie, all of which were found stabbed to death in their home, tied up and stabbed to death in their home. Originally, it was suspected that the family, the young family, they were, I said, in their 20s, had only lived in Cincinnati a short period of time, uh, may have been the victim of the Cincinnati Strangler who was uh, uh, out doing his dastardly deeds uh, during that time. We'll talk a little bit more about him later. But uh, we pretty much, police pretty much ruled him out as a suspect, but he was a suspect for a long time. The young family uh, was slain on Sunday night, September 25th, 1966, sometime between 9 and 11 p.m. It wasn't until two nights later that the concerned neighbors finally discovered the bodies uh, when they noticed a lack of activity in in the house. As as the colonel says, the houses are very close together. Um, And you know all your neighbors. Yeah, you know all your neighbors. And even though they were kind of new, they only lived there a few years, they, they did, you know, they were considered the kids on the block because they were so young. Because um, a lot of these people live in the neighborhoods for years, right? And um, But they did know. They did know. They did know the neighbors. Um, there's been speculation that the murders were, uh, res- there's a, I mentioned the Cincinnati Strangler. We'll talk about that theory later. There's speculation also that it was the the murders were the result of a extramarital affair that kind of went bad. Um, but again, we'll talk about that when we get into theories. Um, there are also rumors that it may have been related to organized crime. Um, Linda, the young lady, uh, the wife, had uh, been a uh, airline stewardess um, prior to moving to Cincinnati and had mentioned to her friends that she had helped break up a drug ring uh, as while serving as a uh, flight attendant. So there's speculation that. Um, you don't want to break up a drug ring. No. Um, and some people around her were, were murdered. And so it's, it's really strange, and we'll get into all that. Over 400 people were interviewed by the police, and yet 50 years later, um, this mystery remains unsolved. So let me give you some quick background, and Brandy's going to talk about the murders themselves. Gerald John Bricka was the first child born to Elmer. I'm loving that name, Elmer. If I had a son, I would name him Elmer. You know what? I love his glue. He has the best glue. When I was a kid, we used to refer to Tallywackos as your Elmer. (laughs) That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. So John Bricka was born to Elmer and Dolores Bricka in San Francisco. Sweetie. (laughs) <laughs> San Francisco, California, on January 25, 1938. Um, the Bricka family had settled in San Francisco in the 1850s, and they prospered. That's good. That's good that they prospered. Mm. Cheaters never prosper, so they must they not be. They must not been cheaters. They were not. Um, Jerry attended the local high school there and at St. Ignatius and graduated in 1956. He um, graduated in the same class as former, well, current, <laughs> current California governor Jerry Brown. No lie. Yeah, no lie. Uh, Jerry, Bra- uh, Jerry Bricker went to Stanford where he earned a degree in engineering in 1960. So he was an engineer, chemical engineer. He quickly landed a job at Monsanto and was sent to work in the company's facility in Seattle. 
He was 5'10 and weighed 170 pounds. He wasn't a real big guy, but he was strong, well-developed arms and shoulders. He was a competitive swimmer in high school. Um, so Gotta give you big shoulders. Yeah. He competed in a 1.5-mile relay race around Golden Gate Bridge. It sounds exhausting. It sounds like sharks in there, aren't they? I don't uh, believe there's sharks. Only if you throw penises in there. Yeah, yeah. penises will dry, throw them out. Um, through 1966, um, you know, that was kind of the age where the whole uh, um, free love period has started and hippie movement was going on. Free love. free love. I like free love. There's no such thing as free love. No, it costs you. Anyway, uh, Jerry was conservative. He kept his hair cut short. You know, he was, you know, looking for a career and, um, you know, went to Stanford. So he came from pretty good stock and it's pretty good background. He was one of the squares. Neighbors described him. He was a square. <laughs> neighbor described him as hardworking and friendly, and always quick with a smile and a greeting. While working in Seattle, Jerry met an attractive United Airlines stewardess. It was stewardess. That's where they were flight attendants. Um, named Linda. Stewardess. Uh, yes, <laughs> more, than more than one. Linda Jane Bula. Bula. Uh, Bula. And Linda Jane Bula was 18 years old and just recently graduated from United uh, Airlines uh, Training School for Stewardesses. She was born, Linda was born on January 4th, 1943. So she was born on January 4th. Oh, her mama was so big with her during the holidays. She was almost a New Year's baby. She damn near was. You know, she was ready to drop. Yeah, she would have come five days earlier. They got that big tax deduction for her. She grew she up so in a, a very exclusive neighborhood in northwest of Chicago. So she came from money. And uh, moved to the west side. <laughs> yeah, boy, that was a drop. Well, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, her father ran a welding and engineering firm that he started himself in 1935 uh, and had got some lucrative government contracts. Um, Linda attended Barrington High School in Chicago and graduated in less than four years. Um, and in, when they moved to Cincinnati, they got married, and they moved to Cincinnati, uh, where Jerry got transferred to the Monsanto plant on the west side of Cincinnati. And um, Linda was known for her youth and her beauty. She was a very cute girl, if you go back and look at yeah, pictures. Yeah, she was very beautiful. Um, one neighbor said that whenever uh, men, whenever she was working in the front yard and men drove by, they would always slow down the take a look at her because she was she was very tall and she had shapely uh, legs and big brown eyes she, if you look at her picture she is a beautiful gal farm breasts oh, I don't know about she that and be, be, be easy she was a victim here um, neighbors recall wow. her passion unusual passion for animals uh, which led her to take a part time job at a veterinarian clinic and that will come into play a little bit later on um, they said she was friendly and outgoing and was uh, a little bit less approachable than Jerry was, but she was still, you know, friendly enough. Um, she probably felt a little out of place in the very conservative middle-class neighborhood that she found herself in. She's come from Chicago, and like I said, this was, you know, the 1960s, and she was 18 years old or so. So, Anyway, Jerry and uh, Linda fell in love, and they were married on November 25th, 1961, which was right around Thanksgiving of that year. Yes, thank you. Um, by all, a little bit before Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. about a month. By all accounts, the union was very happy. Um, the young couple were very much in love, according to Jerry's family members. So they would have been doing the deed a lot during the holidays. You would think so. Jerry's mm-hmm. family loved her and felt that the couple were a good match. On June the 9th, 1962, Linda gave birth to their daughter, Deborah Ann, um, and then a little more than a year later, 1963, is when they moved to Cincinnati. And as I said, he took a job at the Monsanto plant on the west side of Cincinnati. And they kind of settled in in the west side in the subdivision there in a small split-level three-bedroom, single-car garage home uh, that were typical of the homes built in the 1950, 1950s, which we talked about. I have seen this house. Yeah. yeah, and you can see it now. You can go online and see it. Um, since uh, most of the homes at the time were n- were not uh, air conditioned in 1966, neighbors would spend their evenings on their front porch chatting and watching the kids play. It was a you know it was a safe area. Even though this time, 
everyone was a little bit on edge because, as I mentioned, the Cincinnati Strangler was out and about doing his dastardly deeds. Dastardly. And you uh, talk about the real briefly, Timmy. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati Strangler, his name was Post Steel Lasky. Mm-hmm. Nothing very. And briefly. he was going on about this time, and he was he, now he was a ripper and a raper and a stabber and a hacker. No, he was and mostly he no, he was mostly he did mostly strangling. Yeah, he was a strangler, but yeah. he would stab women too. Yeah. Um, but he uh, about this time. Uh, my mama and my brother. So all the women in Cincinnati had just worked it up, worked in, into a frenzy because of the Cincinnati Strangler. Dead mm-hmm. My dead mama, um, God rest his soul. Your dead brother? My dead brother, God rest his soul. Um, you my brother came in and uh, snuck up on my mama while she was sweeping. She had a broom in her hand. Mm-hmm. My mama turned around, startled, thinking the Cincinnati Strangler had just gotten a hold of her. And uh, commenced to beat him, my brother, with the broom. <laughs> and then my brother fell down, and she beat him with the broom some more and kicked him. Even though she knew it was no longer the Cincinnati Well, Strangler. my brother said the real heartbreak came when he could see the look in her eyes change from fear to anger, and she realized it was him. Instead of the Cincinnati And she Strangler. continued to kick and beat with the broom. Yeah. <laughs> that's a horrible <laughs> so, story. That's yes. how... Uh, that's life in the colonel's house. Yeah, but, but it, was a, it was a scary time. when. Uh, my mama was only five, not even five foot tall, Timmy. She and, beat you uh, in the hell. The M.O., and we'll talk about this Rolling later. Rockwell should paint that scene <laughs> sometime. The, the M.O. of the Cincinnati Strangler was he he uh, preyed on el- el- elderly women. He elderly, liked, old, he liked older, older women. women. Yeah. That way you'd have to worry about that now. Yeah. <laughs> older women when they become men. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so since they, since air conditioning wasn't around 1966 or wasn't used that much, people would sit out on their front porch at night and watch their kids play. And yes. So <laughs> as we've covered, we have. But and then yes, you guys, you know, threw me off. The neighbors, most of whom had been or were at least ten years older than the young couple, called them as I said the kids. They referred to the brick as the kids. Um, and they would have block parties and things, and they'd invite the Brickets That's back over. when they had the key parties. I'm sorry to interrupt, but they yeah, had key, key parties, parties, too, and everybody wanted to get the Brickets the keys. 70s. Uh, yeah, this one they that were just was not that at all. There were, uh, they were just a normal couple. Uh, so uh, they kept somewhat to themselves. Um, so they prob- Well, the thing was that he was on his way up. You know, he was starting a career. So they, mm-hmm. were, they probably wasn't planning on living in Cincinnati his whole career, his whole life. So. Right. Uh, they didn't feel the need to get a lot of attachment, but they did socialize, and they become the neighbors became familiar with their daily routine. So let's talk about what happens next. Well, on uh, September twenty fifth, um, this nineteen sixty six. Nineteen sixty six. It was a Sunday, um, and Jerry was working, but it wasn't unusual for him to work on the weekends. Um, before he went into the plant, he attended the 10 o'clock mass at St. Aloysius Church and then worked the remainder of the day. On his way home about 8, he stopped at United Dairy Farmers, best milkshakes ever. Oh, UDF. Oh, I know. Ever. I miss UDF. UDF's a convenience store. They make good milkshakes. Um, on, the corner, on the corner of Bridgetown and Aurora Avenue, if any of you want to look that up. Yeah, Google, right. Where's Google, Google, Google Map. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he bought milk, and then he drove the last mile to his three-bedroom house on Greenway Avenue, where his wife, Linda, and his four-year-old de- daughter, Debbie, were watching television and folding laundry in the first-floor rec room. Uh, let's see. He remembered Monday was trash day, and he lugged the cans to the curb. Uh, the houses on Greenway are only about 15 feet apart, and the neighbors might have heard a disturbance if there was one that September night but it would, they had, there was just a really unusual set of circumstances because it had been raining all day and temperatures had barely gotten into the 60s, so everybody had their windows shut. Um, and, you know, Bridge on the River Kwai was on. Yeah, that was a big deal. I thought. Oh, yeah, I remember. The River Kwai was on ABC, and so it, the whole evening that was taken up with that being on ABC. Because... The, it, in 1966, there were only three networks. There were three stations. Right. Yeah, you had CBS, NBC. Well, you have four. You had here. You had Channel Nine, which was CBS. Channel Five, which was NBC. Channel Twelve, which was 
um, ABC, and you had Channel 19, which was an independent. the so, BXIX. And Ron Swanson enjoys Bridge on the River Quiet. Well, I'm just saying. So, so this was the first time it was premiering on TV. Yes. It was a big deal. And it had 60, across the country, like 60 million viewers tuned into that. So it was a huge deal. Um, so, you know, rain had been, it had been raining all day long and, and it had stopped. And so Joan Jansen, who lived across the street, um, when the rain stopped, she went out to walk the family dog. She said hi to Jerry when he got home. They chit-chatted for a minute, and then she kept kept it moving, kept it walking. Mm-hmm. And then he turned and went back inside his house. Um, and then what happens after that kind of remains a mystery. On Monday, that following Monday, the cold snap ended. And set, it was 70 degrees, sunny. Nice September day. Nice September day, and the work week begins, and... Um, you know, people were out getting their papers, eating their breakfast. Um, but the men left, and the women that stayed home to get the kids off to school started noticing that the trash cans um, had not been brought in, the Bricket House. And that kind of raised an eyebrow because a neighbor recalls that De- uh, not Debbie Linda mm-hmm. was just fanatic about bringing those cans in. She made sure that as soon as the trucks were gone that she brought her cans up to the house. Um, and despite the night, the nice weather, Linda was not out working in her yard. And the, the little girl was not outside playing because she wasn't school age, so she'd be right. home Debra, And Debbie was, I think, four. Yeah. Um, and they also had some dogs. They had Thumper, who was part Cocker Spaniel and whatever, and then Dusty, who was part Poodle. And they weren't out running around. Um, they didn't hear the barking. They didn't, the dogs never went outside to go to the bathroom. Nothing like that. Um, so the the Evening Post came to the yard. Still. When Cincinnati had two newspapers. Right. It'd be a morning newspaper and an afternoon newspaper. Um, still, nobody, nobody came out to get it. The lights burned all day Monday and all through the night without a trace of that family. Two nights later, on September 27th, uh, the bodies of Jerry, Linda, and Debbie were discovered. Neighbors had become concerned, and two gentlemen, um, one was a World War II veteran, Dick Meyer, approached the Bricka house. I think he's still alive. I saw him interviewed not that long ago. Uh, They knocked on the door, but there was no answer, and the door was unlocked, which also not uncommon at the time. Uh, Mr. Meyer slowly opened it, but he didn't go in. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Uh, the foul putrid smell hit him like a punch in the face. Being a veteran, he knew that smell. There was something dead. He closed the door and called the police. Uh, None of the neighbors can forget the hours after the police arrived. The bodies, they carried out the bodies. Carried out the bodies. The dogs were removed. Uh, They brought in huge fans to blow the stench out into the night air. Now, the dogs, uh, the dogs weren't killed. They were just sedated. Um... Officers from the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department and from Cincinnati Police Department, along with paramedics uh, from the Mac Fire Department, worked inside for most of the night. All three family members have been brutally murdered, including four-year-old Debbie. According to the autopsy report, Jerry was stabbed nine times and Linda was stabbed eight. Uh, primary wounds in both of them were about seven inches deep. Yeah. Debbie, Debbie was stabbed four, four times each thrust piercing completely through her small body. 
I would call that savagely. So it was not polite. No. It was not well, polite. One investigator called it overkill. Yeah. Why do you need to stab a four-year-old girl that many times? Or why do you need to stab anyone? Yeah. Well, but I mean, a four-year-old little yeah. girl. Yeah, it's gross. Well, the reason you was stabbed a four-year-old little girl, or not stab her that many times, but kill her, is because you believe that uh, she could identify you. Yeah. Let's get in. We'll get in that series. Uh, so, when asked, when somebody asked Dick Meyer to describe the scene, he just said it was very gruesome. He said he'll never forget seeing the bodies of his neighbors covered in blood. I can still see that little girl lying there. He says, "I get, I still get tears when I think about what those bastards did to her." Uh, but despite an extensive investigation spearheaded by the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office, no suspect has ever been named. No murderer brought to justice, uh, and we still don't know who killed the Brickas or why. You know who should investigate this is Manitowoc County. <laughs> I think or you know who is Johnny Boom Boom. We'll Steve do a Hager podcast on him. Yeah, we haven't got to that yet, but okay. So anybody who, and, and the whole thing is, you know, nobody knew why right. nobody knew why they had been targeted um, maybe the dogs know, did it well, right uh, just ask anyone of a certain age who grew up in Cincinnati if they remember it I am not of that age but you two clearly are thank well, you well I and you know I'm of that age but I also have um, not personal connections to the Bricka but personal but Personal connections. Now, when my my deceased daddy, everybody on the west side is related. Everybody on the west side knows each other. Personal connections to the Hamilton County Prosecutor's Office as well. Actually, I um, Miss Joan Jansen, um, who became very concerned and was the one that got the men together. um, I grew up playing baseball with her son, um, and for more more closely. My daddy, God rest his soul, he's he dead. Um, of course he is. His best friend was a man named Ted McClanahan. Ted McClanahan was a, a detective for Cincinnati to help with the sheriff's department. He helped in the investigation. Now, uh, Ted McClanahan had a theory that we will get into later, um, that he was very, very, uh, he was certain. Now, uh, just be careful but, with the uh, theories. You yeah, but he, uh, don't defame anyone or we'll get in trouble. Um. But the, the name Bricka is kind of woven into the fabric of Cincinnati's West Side, along with, you know, the Roses and... Reds, Pete Rose. Yeah, all that. So, but it didn't take long for the neighbors to react. Uh, the residents in the area went on spending sprees. They bought ice picks, beer, beer can opener, because they needed to be plowed. <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> Ain't nobody on the West Side need a beer can opener. They got, no, they got, they they got, got most of their teeth yeah. left. You can always have find a countertop. Yeah. Uh, tear gas guns, shotguns, pistols, ammunition, door locks, barrel bolts, and door chain, door chain guards in an effort to protect themselves. The SPCA reported that large breed dogs were adopted at a surprising rate. Uh, residents in Green Township petitioned for more street lights. The township had to hire a night constable to provide for the first time round-the-clock police service, and trick-or-treat was moved to Sunday afternoon. See, and that's when, when we, and we start. We start it, yeah, it is. Seriously, sack up. You want the candy? Can't. You gotta get your ass out there and go and get it. And bang for it, like yeah. we did. Go out there at night with your little pillowcase. With your pillowcase. Yeah. Get your we shit didn't done. have those little shiny breakaway lights. No, you want no. your damn candy corn? You gotta earn it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You gotta earn it. And if you have to dodge a killer to get it, then <laughs> it should. That's, that's the, the only way be. you was getting free candy when we was it kids. It really was the only way. Watch out for those razor blades. And on the west side, was there really anything like, you know? Was, there, was your free candy? No, see, free? and, you know, we joke about the West Side, but where the Brickers lived, that's the kind of street you got, like, the whole Milky Way, the real whole mm-hmm. full-size Milky Way. With the razor blade in it? No razor blades, unless know. you got the killer. Then he yeah, might see. slip something in there. So it changed the suburban neighborhood forever. Cincinnati had lost its innocence. That's a horrible line, not written by me. I don't know why. Uh, in the investigation that followed, over 400 witnesses were interviewed. No arrest was ever made. The extent of the investigation is hard to determine. The case is still officially opened. Uh, it's still on the website. If you yep. go to the Hamilton County Prosecutor's website or the State of Ohio Attorney mm-hmm. General's website, it's you know it's still listed there and asking people to contact 
um, the authorities if they have any information. They just had a, they did some DNA testing in 2014. I know. Oh, you're gonna get to it. Yeah. Because um, the the point being, it's an active case, and we if we if we don't have all the information, it's because it's not all the information has been released. <coughs> well, as recently as 2013, uh, Hamilton County Prosecutor Joe Dieters was still hopeful of bringing the murder or murderers to justice. There was DNA testing, which wasn't available in 1966. It was completed in 2012. The results have not been released. Most of what we know is from the autopsy report. The report revealed that Jerry and Linda were bound before they were killed, which seems to contradict the theory that the murders were committed in the heat of the moment. Jerry yeah, that's all- weird that they were tied up. Yeah. Jerry was also gagged with a pair of socks that may have been taped into his mouth. Um piece of tape was found on his chin. Though newspaper stories at the time indicated Linda had been raped, the autopsy report does not list any such finding. It is believed the coroner's report first reported that it was raped, but then changed it to recent intercourse, because they were young. And they were young. They was doing it. They were young. Yes. In love. Like Pet Minotaur. Yes. Seared Jerry was stabbed in the back and neck, while Linda was stabbed mostly in the chest. Though her face was marked with shallow cuts, perhaps made while she fought the assailant. The position of her wounds, of their wounds, I'm sorry, Jerry's left back and Linda's right front, seemed to indicate a murderer who held the weapon, possibly a carving knife from a set displayed in the dining room in his left hand. Some drawers were open and Jerry's wallet was missing, but the motive did not appear to be robbery. Interestingly, like I said before, the Bricka's dogs had just been sedated and locked into a back room. The newspapers at the time theorized that Jerry came in the house, relaxed on the couch while the killer watched him from the backyard. Jerry may have taken Debbie upstairs to her room. Uh, that's where she was found wearing her pajamas and to one make white love. Sock. No, that's her Debbie's the four-year-old. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow, you're gross. <laughs> okay, to put her to bed. Yeah, there you go. Uh, wearing her pajamas and one white sock. The killer may have taken this opportunity to, opportunity to enter through the unlocked back door. Uh, needless to say, the newspapers had little evidence to support this conjecture. They just made it up as they go. Well, on. I mean, they, they didn't have anything else, right? All they got, they again, it's an open case, so you there's all we got is you know conjecture. Uh, there and the rumors flew. Reports of a male friend, Air Bunnies, who had been seen with Linda at a local lovers' lane, Air Bunnies, suggested that perhaps a love triangle had ended in murder. But investigators could find no hard evidence to link anyone to the crime. When Cincinnati Magazine interviewed one of the original investigators in, in 2008, he denied that the police had focused on one suspect. That the love triangle was just that the love triangle was just one lead that they were following. He also mentioned rumors that Jerry was having an affair. There was a connection to organized crime, and perhaps the murders were related somehow to Jerry's work at Monsanto. Yeah, that's weird, man. Because the, the the theory with Monsanto is that it could have been um, the Unabomber. Yeah, um, because that's a, that's reaching pretty far. It, it is re- it is reaching pretty far, but he. That's you know, not his mo. Right, right. It was different. Um, he acknowledges that none of those that these are just rumors. None of them have ever been substantiated. But still, the troubling questions remain. Uh, the assumption is that the killer used a missing butcher knife in the Bricka's kitchen. How does someone holding a knife <clears throat> excuse me, tie up two adults? <coughs> well, you have a gun, I would think. Did the assailant have a gun? How does one person keep one at bay while taking care of the other? Were there more than one assailant? Was Debbie alive and a witness? Would a four-year-old have been able to recognize the killer? Was Jerry tied up first and then stabbed? Why does someone bent on murder tie up his victims first? Police believed that the family knew the murderer because there was no signs of a struggle. The killer stayed for hours to clean up the scenes. The scene. The Monday Enquirer, which usually arrived around dawn, was missing amongst newspapers in the Brickers' yard. It's possible that the killer wrapped the murder weapon in the newspaper and placed it in the trash cans by the curb that were emptied that morning. Theoretically, this means that the killer would have been in the house through most of the night. Yeah, that seems creepy. <clears throat> the guy would stay... And you, dead bodies. Well, you think you want to get the hell out of there if you committed a, you know, 
Well, they had they just gone to the grocery store. They had food, and Bridge on the soda, Kwai was on. Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bridge on the River. There's a lot of theories that go around here, and I, and I mentioned my dad, my dad's friend, Ted McClanahan, and he, the thing he was certain of that he was absolutely certain of. Is he alive? Ted? Yeah. Um, he has since passed. Okay. Of course he has. Um, we just got to be careful. No, he, he was certain that uh, it was a revenge killing. Okay. It was a revenge killing of some sort. The, the, the troubling part is who had that kind of motive for revenge. Mm-hmm. He didn't believe that it was a, obviously a crime of passion. But the things that didn't make sense um, were um, the, the big thing that didn't make sense is everything was so methodical. Yet the killer used a knife that was in the home. Yeah, he didn't come prepared. Yeah. Or at least we, well, we, we came know with the rope. The rope didn't come from the home. Um, Maybe he had a gun. And that's the only thing that they can come up with, yeah. that he had a gun and then went, assumed he would be able to find a knife in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, why load yourself down? But, uh, but you got, so you got a bunch of different theories. Um, but that's what he really believed, that there was something that nobody knew about, that there's one piece out there that would fill it all in because this was a revenge murder for something. And there's some strange things that went on. There's some strange connections to this story. And you're, yeah, well, you get, first of all, you got the love triangle theory. Love mm-hmm. triangle theory. And, and, and that's something. Devil, you've been in a lot of love triangles, yeah. so you know what this She's is about. She's been in triangles. Yeah, squares square. and octagons. Yeah. So I believe you. It's hard when people love yeah, you. Yeah, pentagrams. Love <laughs> pentagrams. Yeah, it's hard when people love you. So, but uh, it was always rumored that the police knew who committed the crime but didn't have enough. Uh, evidence to charge the prime suspect. And according to the rumors, it, w- it was a local veterinarian. And we're not going to say his name. We're not going to say his name. He's long since deceased. And I will, uh, another weird connection, because Westside is a is a tight-knit community. Too. You know him, too. Actually, Rutabaga, Clarence, that's where he goes. The vet, the hospital, the animal hospital is still there. That yeah, is hospital where he goes to the vet. I think the vet retired in 95, and he passed away yeah. in 2002. So what possible reason would a vet have to kill well, this family? She He's worked for the vet. Um, okay. So the rumors su- suggest that... Uh, she was a veterinarian aide. Yeah, right? the, she was the vet's aide. She worked for him. And the rumor is that Jerry came home unexpectedly, found Linda and the vet together. Now, that would explain the dogs being sedated. Um, but if this was a killer... Because as a vet, veterinarian, you would have the You'd drugs. have the drugs to sedate the dogs. You'd mm-hmm. have reason to be in the house. Um, but it's not really... So that would end up being a crime of passion, and this murder was so much more methodical. Um, and the other thing I don't, why why would he be there on a Sunday evening, you know? Yeah, knowing when the, knowing knowing he, that the guy, he, and he maybe he home. came over to watch the River Kwai and maybe. said, I'm tired. Maybe. Maybe he wanted to fire her, it's and he family, just couldn't say family it. Family film. Yeah, you know. But there, there's been a lot of unsubstantiated rumors about this veterinarian. And it followed him his whole life. Yeah, and... Uh, they one is that they interviewed him, but then he lawyered up and refused to cooperate. There were rumors that he admitted to having the affair, but not the killing. <laughs> um, there were other rumors that the police botched the interview by not giving him his reading his Miranda rights to him. Yeah, and Miranda was decided in 1966, so right around that time, the Supreme Court said that a, that a suspect would have to be read to write his rights under Miranda mm-hmm. in order to, uh, you know... To yeah, make what it this a, would have done is if he was a prime suspect and he walked away, and actually they found stronger evidence later, he would have walked away yeah, on a technicality. And it would have terrible. It would have looked bad, yeah. So, now these are all just rumors. A veterinarian did... He lived on... This man lived under suspicion for 50 years. He retired in 95, moved to Florida, and he died in 2002. And they only um, interviewed him for like forty-five minutes, which leads me yeah. leads me to believe he wasn't much very high on their uh, list of suspects. And, well, the other rumor was um, that made him one of the suspects is that his fingerprints were in the house, but her working for him and them being but socially he, friendly. I mean, you're saying he, he admitted the, an affair, or that's the rumor. The rumor it, was that then he then that was admitted a rumor. The yeah, yeah, that was a rumor. So you know, and then, then there, but there were finger, there were rumors that his fingerprints were in the house. Mm-hmm. Now but that is again, this is an open case. So these are all rumors. Yeah, we don't know. Um, 
Now, of course, we just talked about the Cincinnati Strangler. Um, but he was Postio Lasky. He was a taxi driver. The, the M.O. for him is completely different. Um, he, he liked elderly women, like the devil here. Um, he would rape his victims using rope, <laughs> clothesline, and other other angle, other things, pantyhose, to strangle his victims. You, you wear pantyhose, devil? Is that, is that someone who's still wearing uh, You're within, know. you're within. Um, I'm just asking. It's a, it's a question. I wear a box of briefs. She, she can hit you. Do you wear pantyhose? She you can. have known me for how long now? Ever. Forever. Ever. Have you seen You always wear pants. pants. I don't know. I... First of all, pantyhose were made by the devil, by Satan himself, not me. <laughs> okay, so you and him bicker about that at night. We, we do not agree. Okay. Okay, <laughs> just question. Um, but his he, he liked to strangle women. He didn't like to... And it was elderly women. Yeah, elderly women, and he never, ever used a knife to kill. So, anyway. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like that. But I, it, it was around the same time period, though. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm ruling him out as a suspect. Okay, you do that, now, we got the mob. Now, the suggestions that it could have been mob-related, it's a little bit murky there, but... Um, There's some interesting stuff. The weeks that, before this, Linda Bricker seemed very nervous and afraid to friends. Now, she had shared to at least, with at least two friends that while she was a flight attendant, her and her co-workers helped break up a drug ring. Um, now... She told this to Nettie Cardell. The Cardells just lived a couple houses up the street, and... Um, this is right before the murder. Nettie said them? that, huh? Do you know them? I do not know the Cardells. I cannot believe that. No, they uh, they moved away. Now, or died. Yeah, but, I mean, they were very close. Debbie, you know, the little daughter, she'd run down to, and play with Nettie's daughter and whatnot. So um, by late, late summer, Linda asked Cardell to call when Debbie was ready to come home so Linda could walk up and get her daughter. Now, this was a strange thing because the girls, you know, this is a, even to this day, this is a very, very quiet, safe neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so she so, was being extra precautious. Yeah. Linda was being extra precautious. Yeah, and so, um, and Caudell thought at the time that her, Linda's fear had to do, this is where you get into another weird angle, with two flight attendants, Lonnie Trumbull and Lisa Wick who had been attacked earlier that summer in their Seattle apartment. Cardell couldn't remember their names. She did recall that Linda told her that she'd worked and lived with the two women. In, in Seattle. These in were Seattle. Two, these were two flight attendants that she worked with with United. Mm-hmm. And, so, they, and they'd, they'd lived together. They were roommates in Seattle. Um, Lonnie Trumbull, she was 20. She was murdered in her Seattle apartment on June 23, 1966. She'd this been, is three months prior to the Brickham murders. Yeah. She'd been beat to death in her sleep. And her roommate, Lisa, Week, Lisa Wick, was, of course, there at the time. She'd been brutally beaten but survived the attack. Lisa Wick, obviously, she had no recollection because she got beat about the head and shoulders. Now, what they think on this one, they think Ted Bundy probably did it. Um, well, they blame Bundy, but I don't think he ever com- confessed to it, did he? He didn't confess, which is an odd thing, because Bundy pretty much confessed to everything that he did. Yeah, and some stuff he didn't um, do. And he, he he always pretty adamantly denied doing this one. Yeah, even to even to the day he was executed, he denied being involved in, in these murders. But they, yeah. they hung it on him. So this and this attack occurred almost three months to the day right before the, before the Bricker murders. And now these another, were because she said she was involved with the, her and two two of her coworkers broke up this drug. Yeah, ring they were the they ones were, that broke up the drug. Right, right. that's what she said. Right. Um, <clears throat> now another weird coincidence was a murder a murder of Valerie Percy. She was the daughter of former Illinois Senator Charles Percy. Valerie Percy was murdered in a suburban Chicago <coughs> home one week before the Brickers were killed. Now remember, Linda is from. She's from Chicago. From she was fr- actually friends and knew Valerie. Mm-hmm. She was from an affluent area in Chicago. She'd been stabbed to death in her parents' home, and her mother woke up in the middle of the night by noise. By noise, it was shattering glass and muffled moans coming from her daughter's bedroom. When she uh, got into her bedroom now. She found a figure standing over her daughter's body. The intruder shined a light into Miss Percy's eyes, and it temporarily blinded her. And this gave the intruder enough time to get away. Now, Valerie had been stabbed multiple times, and she was unrecognizable due to her, her wounds. 
She was, um, I think, 21. This she was, was 21. This is a week before the Bricka murders in, in Linda Bricka's old neighborhood. Yeah. Now, her, her murder has never been solved. And according to reports in the inquiry, since I inquired, the similarities of the murders led um, Herbert Vogel, he was the lead investigator, to Chicago to try to connect the crimes, but they couldn't find any evidence to connect it to. Or um, that we know of. That we know of, yeah. Um, but both were from wealthy Chicago families and moved in the same social circles. Yeah, she was. Uh, Linda was 23, she was 21. Yeah. So. And then you get to the craziest one, that it was Ted Kaczynski. Yeah, that's, um, a little far, that's a little far out. Um, the theory was it was motivated by Jerry Bricker's work as a chemical engineer for Monsanto. However, Kaczynski, who was also from Chicago, was a graduate student at the University of Michigan at the time. And this was 12 years before he started killing people. Yeah, and then when he killed people, he killed them through the Yeah, he the bomb. mailed bombs. So right. that, was, that was one that got thrown out. So there's all kinds of twists and turns in here and all kinds of weird coincidences. I mean, she lived, think about it, she lived with two women mm-hmm. at one time. Mm-hmm. All three, well, Lisa Wick survived, but barely. All three of them could have been murdered. Yeah. You know, all three. And these were the three that broke up the drug ring. Yeah. Which, again, you know, as I said, now, this is just going on, you know, what, what old man told a little kid or a little kid overhears. Um, always believing that it was a revenge murder. Mm-hmm. That it, there was, you know, this was for revenge. However, you know, he got differences between the two because they were beat to death in their sleep. These, the two girls, the two flight attendants were not bound. However, there was no man at that house either. Right, right. So maybe the man felt like he had to, if this was, let's say you're a mob hit man. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, there's easier ways to kill people. I guess the easiest way to kill people would be to just walk in. If you're a mob hit man and you're getting revenge for something, you you use a .22 and you put two bullets behind the But say it wasn't a mob hit. Say it was uh, organized crime, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, the mafia. It was just some drug dealers. Yeah, who, who were pissed off? They might want to leave a message and hack people up, but but it seems like a lot of work going to get revenge, especially yeah. flying all over the country. But it does seem odd that those all those those three murders and the one assault, you know, were four and people, after, you know, five murders really because you have the Brickas and after you after had this Percy all, and then you have um, Trumbull. After this all came about, they tried to uh, retrace Bundy's steps because he traveled all over the country. Right. Um, they tried to retrace his steps and see if there were any any possibility. He was in Cincinnati at that time, uh, but they never could come up with anything there. And that would have been weird, too, because he um, avoided men at all costs and always, mm-hmm. you know, until he got into yeah, the sorority thing. And, and he, he would cultivate a relationship with his victims, usually. Until he and went it, crazy at the end. With and that's what the thing with the Lisa Trimble yeah. thing was. I mean, he would he was known for his gift of gab and, and you he know. Suave. He was suave. He and was Rico Suave. Okay, so. He was Rico Suave. So let's, let's take a stab at this. Brandy, what do you, what do you think happened? That's a poor choice that's of words. That's a poor choice. I'm sorry. Oh, that was unintentional. What, what do you think happened? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, clearly there was there was some planning that went into it. I mean, it wasn't just one of those things where somebody went went in and went batshit and killed all these people. I mean, clearly there was some thought and prep work. So you think there was... Some recon. You don't think it was just a random act? I don't think it was random. I don't know who it was, but I don't think it was random. Charles? I think it was a goddamn hobo, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. He was mad about missing hobo con. If I was to, uh, if I was to speculate, Tim, mm-hmm. my money will fall on the veterinarian. Yeah, I don't want. You know, like I said, I, I feel bad for the guy because he didn't get a trial, and uh, you know, he had that speculation uh, follow him all these years. But it does seem like the dog's being sedated, really. The dog's being sedated, easy me. access to the house. Well, um, smell the girl because the girl would know it. The yeah. girl would be able to say who she was. But and then again, why did he tie him up? Well, and, and see, that could be the thing, though, is that 
if it was a revenge killing, maybe, maybe to make, you know, people fall in love and they do crazy shit. That's oh, why, yeah, I know. That's why the Colonel don't fall in love with nobody, Timmy. Don't fall in love with a dreamer. I, I love my children. I love my dog. My wife, the Mrs. Colonel, I love her, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, You guess. I mean, I love the Mrs. Colonel. Um, That's a but, good, yeah, you better clarify that. But if Miss Colonel were to spurn me, I would not, I don't have that dark side in me, like the devil, you know. Right. Dave spurns the devil. I could see her tying him up, dropping hot, doing that hot candle wax stuff to him. I think so they do that anyway. The death of a thousand cut. Well, you do that anyway, yeah. The death of a thousand cut. I mean, you're a hateful person. Cat of nine tails. I mean, you, you don't. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about you. Not, people not, don't not in a know. negative way. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a spiteful, vengeful, hateful person. And but in a loving way. If you. You know nothing, and and, and it could have so been. I'm so glad to be back. I will have you over at my house one day, and you can see. I don't know what kind of dungeon you think I live in. Oh, uh, I know you got all that dominatrix stuff going on. Oh, we, we, I, yeah, yeah. You, I've heard about the closet. Mm. No, whatever. I've heard about the ball air gag. quotes here, toy box that the like devil has. Space. The ball gags. So, but you think about it. You know the the vet the vet's older guy. Mm-hmm. He falls in love with this woman. It's it's the best, you know. It's the most logical. It's it's the best sex sex he has ever right. engaged in, and then she spurns him. Spurned. And uh, he feels very angry Spurned. and very whatever. And we don't know. And this is just your our opinion. And this is just this is just my opinion. Yeah. But here's a scenario for you that maybe if somebody. Maybe they're having a little bit of an affair. Maybe the and maybe Jerry, the husband, finds out about it. And if I found out about it, I would. What would I do? I would catch the man alone, and I would give him a good, good beating or something. I mean, and you know, I mean, we're putting all the emphasis on her. Maybe he was having an affair. Maybe you know, maybe he was having an affair. A jealous husband comes over and. You know, it may, so it could be a lot. I mean, once well, you go down that path, there's, it, but it's still the dog being sedated. Always here's what I guarantee you, Timmy. What? When they find a killer, and they will find a killer. Um, it's been 50 years. It's only been 50 years. I mean, that's a speck in the sands of time, an hourglass of time. 50 years is just a speck. But anyway, Timmy, this is going to have to do with somebody putting their wiener where it don't belong. Probably. That's most most of the sense. trouble in the world is... When people put their wieners where they don't belong, mm-hmm. or when people cut their wiener, other people's wieners off. Well, no, putting that's that no, you don't got to do with putting your wiener where it don't belong. You don't put your wiener in the hands of a man with a sharp knife. Okay, so this is a sad story. We don't know what the result is because we don't have access. But to I believe I, I believe it was it. Uh, I, I can't say I believe it was a veterinarian. I believe it had to do with somebody's sex life, and I believe it. But if you think about from this angle, Timmy, if you're the veterinarian. But it's so, it was so methodical, though. And Right. That's why you, you don't want to just, you want to throw them off. How would you do it? I would do it like. I wouldn't oh, do it no, at all. I wouldn't do it like that. I'd just stab them in the heart real quick. Yeah. No, I'd throw the police off. But if, you, know, if you're a guy who the affair is going to get exposed and you're going to lose half your stuff in a divorce and your reputation because West Side, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, tolerate that kind of behavior, Timmy. I think they're, I, I'm still... They're all inbred anyway. I think, I think, I think they're all related. I think that, the, but no, seriously, the, the, the connections are really weird with those other deaths being... Well, I think the other two girls getting killed were weird, but I think that's just bad. And plus, you live in Seattle. Christ, you can't swing a dead cat in Seattle without hitting a serial killer. If you're a 21-year-old girl, chances are you got a better chance of getting killed by a serial... Oregon, Oregon, Washington, yeah, Yeah. dude, you got to... That's serial killer capital of the world right there. Okay. I mean, they have serial killer kind up there. They should. (laughs) Serial killer kind. Brandy, where can people find us? Uh, You can find us on the iTunes. The iTunes. Twitter. If you go on iTunes, leave us a review. Mm Mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook. We're at Twitter at History Dweebs One. Uh huh. And not YouTube because that's not set up yet. Uh, we're <clears> still <throat> waiting for the Colonel to do that. I'm tired of the harassment I'm getting about this. Do it now. I'm not getting paid harass. any extra money to set up this YouTube channel. And you know, just because the Colonel the only one that possesses the technical expertise to do such a thing. 
Who? How do you think this fine podcast gets uh, out there? Who do you think does that? I do not know. I thought it was little fairies that came in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that's wrap. This, this thing's wrapped up. We'll see you next time on History Dweebs. Good day. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.